1: should have a deeper awareness of God's love, because it's poured out to us by His Spirit. And we should walk in that love. And when we walk in that love, people will know that you belong to Him. Remember, we studied. Love one another. This is how they will know that you're my disciples, that if you show love for one another. And that love comes to us through the Holy Spirit as God outpours that into our lives. And we share that with one another. And people look in and go, wow, look at that.
0: Today, Pastor Dave will remind us that we're called to be a loving and gracious group of people in the church. If the non-believers around you were asked, would they say it was your lifestyle of abstaining from sin and following the rules that set you apart, or would they say it's the Christ-like love that you demonstrate? Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John, chapter 14, as he begins his message, Because He Lives...
1: Gospel of John, chapter 14, beginning in verse 18. Jesus is still speaking, and he says these words to his disciples. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. A little while longer, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Have you ever heard this expression, out of sight? Out of mind it usually carries the meaning that you're not going to see someone after a long period of time um, which means that you'll probably forget about them because they're out of sight and therefore they're out of mind. We use this a lot when we say goodbye to our family members who live afar away you know don't be a, don't forget us don't 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 be out of sight out of mind keep in touch and I remember as a kid, Signing in the papyrus yearbook as it went around. That was a joke. Come on. First service got it. Gee whiz. Come on. Anyhow. Anyhow, we signed the yearbooks as they went around. And a lot of people would write, RMA. Remember me always. You know, because nobody wants to be forgotten. Nobody wants to be forgotten. And I think the disciples were feeling that way in John 14. Remember, we started with Jesus recognizing their troubled hearts because he told them he was leaving. And they were upset. They didn't know what to do with themselves because their master, their their rabbi, their leader, their friend was leaving them. And they didn't know what to do with with him because they depended upon everything. He did everything for them. We talked about this at length last week. Um, Now he was leaving. And the big question for them was what would happen to them? What what was my life going to look like now that, Jesus was leaving, and they were afraid. And once he was gone, they thought, would he forget about them? And worst of all, would they forget about him? So they were troubled. So Jesus looks at his disciples and says, yes, guys, I am leaving. But although I will be out of sight, you will never be out of my mind. You will always be on my mind, and I will always be with you. He said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. And the word for comfortless is orphanos, which is where we get the word orphan. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You know, an orphan feels unloved. An orphan feels unwanted. And Jesus is telling his disciples, I love you guys. I want you to be my buds. I want to hang out with you forever. So I'm only leaving you bodily. I'm not leaving you spiritually. I'm leaving you bodily. And I'm not going to leave you comfortless. And he makes them this promise. If you look at 18, he says just that. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. He's trying to ease their fear, this this fright that they have, because Jesus is leaving. And the disciples are afraid. They're, they're, They're powerless. They've been told, one of you is going to deny me. The rest of you are going to run away. And there's a betrayer among you. And they were all afraid. But in the verses just before that, Jesus tried to ease their fear with a promise to continue to take care of them. Jesus is saying, I'm going to take care of you, but it's going to be in a different way. But yet, it's going to be the same. I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send the one who will come alongside you and teach you all things, lead you into truth, help you to be witnesses, support you, and be with you until the end of the age. It'll be me, but in a different form. And of course, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. He was talking about the Holy Spirit who he would send. He's going to say in chapter 16, it's good that I go away because if I don't go, I can't send the comforter, but I'm going away, so I'm going to send the comforter to you. Realize this. I'm not going to leave you alone. You won't be comfortless. I'm sending you one, and this one's going to be just like me, but in a different form. This should have been comforting to them. It should have been comforting for them. They felt unloved. Their master was leaving. But I love how God the Father shares this vast and immense love with us. Do you know how he shares this vast and immense love with us? Scripture says, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul the Apostle writes this in um, Romans 5, verse 5. He's talking about faith and hope And not disappointing with perseverance and trial and character. And he says, now hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Paul saying this Holy Spirit is pouring out this love of God into your hearts. And I have to ask you today, Christian, have you experienced this love? Have you experienced this love in your heart? Are you walking in this love, enjoying this love, getting all of this love that you can possibly consume? Is this your life? Is God your life now, walking in this love? Your Christian experience should be an outpouring of God's love to you. We should have a deeper awareness of God's love, because it's poured out to us by His Spirit, And we should walk in that love. And when we walk in that love, people will know that you belong to him. Remember, we studied. Love one another. This is how they will know that you're my disciples, that if you show love for one another. And that love comes to us through the Holy Spirit as God outpours that into our lives. And we share that with one another. And people look in and go, wow, look at that. Listen to what our theologian, David Guzik, says. Quote, God's love isn't just a trickle. It is poured out in our hearts. Some Christians live as if it's only a trickle. But God wants us to know the outpouring of his love, unquote. See, God wants you to know the outpouring of his love. And how do we get that? By totally submitting to the Holy Spirit. By totally submitting to God and allowing him to show us that outpouring of love. I mean, remember when we studied John 7? Jesus spoke about the outpouring of God's love, how it was going to look. In John 7, at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, remember, Jesus gets up in front of them all, and he says this in verses 37 and 38 in John 7. On the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John, who is writing this after, gives us a footnote here. And he tells us why Jesus said that. He said, but this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So as the Holy Spirit comes into your life... We, this outpouring of God's love comes into us, and then it flows out of us. We receive it, and then we give it away. And then we receive more, and we give it away. we receive more, and we give it away. You get the idea? As we receive it, we give it out. We show God's love in various ways. There's so many ways we can show God's love one to another, to a world that's dying out there. Sometimes showing God's love is simply opening the door for someone. A simple thank you. Whatever it is, courteously, kindness, those kind of things. Showing God's love so it flows out of us. It touches the hearts of those we come in contact with. It touches people's hearts. I honestly don't think that the disciples got this until Pentecost. I don't think they realized this until Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon them with power the his power, the dynamic power, and gave them boldness and gave them the ability to be witnesses for Jesus Christ and to share this love. Because if this love, if this love is an outpouring of God through the Holy Spirit, then we need to have the Holy Spirit showing us this love. And the more he shows us this love, the more we have to give. So I don't think the disciples really understood this until that happened. Because what happened when the Spirit of God fell on them at Pentecost? Everything changed. Everything. Go back and look at the scriptures yourself. Be Bereans. Check out the verses. Don't take everything I say for a word. Look for yourself. Everything changed in their lives. They become new people. They become different people. They were bold. Jesus makes a promise that he was going to care for them. Even though he's leaving, he's going to care for them. And then he says something that seems kind of out of context. He says... But you will see, you will, he said, a little while but the world will not see me. Oh, excuse me, I'm back up, In 18. I will come to you. He says, it's going to be different, but I'm going to come to you. He was telling them that my leaving is not final. This is not the finality of it. What, me leaving is not the end of everything. Now, in these verses this morning, you can interpret it three different ways. The words that Jesus is speaking could be He was speaking about his soon resurrection. It could be his speaking about sending of the Holy Spirit, or it could possibly be speaking about his return to set up his kingdom. But it's generally believed in everything that I studied and looked at, that what Jesus was talking about was his soon resurrection. Remember, he's trying to quell their fears. I'm leaving. And he's trying to keep them calm. Let not your hearts be troubled. He's trying to keep them on, on focus on him. He's trying to tell them. He's told them many, many times before, read through the Gospels. He tells them time and time and time again, the Son of Man must be crucified and be buried, but he's going to rise again on the third day. He says that many times. He's told them that, but for some reason it didn't click into their minds. It didn't click even after the resurrection. We see some of them are still struggling with the fact that he rose from the dead. He knows. Jesus knows all too well that in a very short time, mere hours, he will die a horrible death on the cross. And at this time, when he goes to the cross, the disciples' hopes and dreams will be dashed and torn apart. He knows that they will be devastated when they see him die, from afar or wherever they are. He knows this. But Jesus also knows that joy cometh in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. And he also knows that their mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, will be turned into ecstatic joy and glorious hope when they see the resurrected Lord. When they see the resurrected Lord, they know. He knows that they will be changed. So look what he says. Their grief is going to turn into joy by his restoration to life because resurrection brings life. So he says this in verse 19a. A little while, a little longer, a little while longer, I'll get it right. A little while longer, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. The world's not going to see him any longer. After his death, the world didn't see him. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, Dave, that doesn't match up with Scripture. Hang on to that thought. Hang on to that thought. The last time the world would see Jesus Christ would be when? When Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took his lifeless body down from the cross and put it in a tomb. That would be the last time the world would see Jesus Christ. But some would. In Acts 10, 41, Luke mentions this. In Acts 10, 41, Luke says this, beginning in verse 40. Him, speaking of Jesus, him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So not everybody saw Jesus Christ when he rose from the dead. Jesus is talking to the disciples, you'll see me. You will see me. You will see me. And this is trying to give them a thing. Why? Why didn't Jesus Christ show him to the world? Well, first of all, the world rejected him. The world rejected him. His own people reject him. So he couldn't manifest to them because if he did, if he manifested himself to them, it would bring judgment upon him. It would bring judgment upon him. It would be sheer terror. This was an act of mercy that he didn't show himself to the world. Because that would be been judgment. He did reveal himself to those who were around him. And we know, according to scripture, that he revealed himself to some 500 people. And he revealed himself to those who would become the church. Those who would be born again of a living hope. Those who would come to him that soon and be a witness of God's love. But, please... Make no mistake about this. Make no mistake about this. Jesus is right now waiting patiently. He's waiting patiently, giving sinners a chance to repent and come into the kingdom. He's giving sinners a chance to repent and come into the knowledge of him. He's given all grace has been dispensed. But one day, the age of grace will end. And the church will be taken out of here. The church will be raptured. Taken home to be with him forever. And then seven years later, Jesus Christ will return to earth and make no mistake, the world will see him. The world will see him. He adds, you'll see me. They saw him after the resurrection. There's many proofs. In fact, in Acts 1-3, he said he showed himself to them in many infallible proofs. In many different ways, he showed himself to the disciples and to those who were chosen by God. But the Greek word here is that you will see me is you will continually see me. You will see me on a regular basis. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will be followed by that. That's part of me. Goodness and mercy and love. It's part of who I am because of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? Unless you are born again, You cannot see the kingdom of God. You don't have spiritual eyes. You won't be able to see me if you're not born again. To those people in the world who are not born again, they can't see Jesus in you. They can't see Jesus anywhere. Although the Spirit is there convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But they can't see Jesus. Their eyes have been blinded. The Jewish people's eyes have been totally blinded. They can't see that Jesus is their Messiah. But we have Jesus in us. And sometimes you may be the only Jesus that someone sees. As they look into your heart, what do they see? What do they see? I hope they see Jesus. We hope they do. Everybody wants to say when they look at me, they see Jesus. Really? All the time? When you're wearing your Jesus hat down the highway and somebody cuts you off? Really? What do they see? What do they see in you? Well, we hope it's Jesus, obviously. But those who have spiritual eyes will see. He's telling them, I'm coming to you quickly. I'll be with you soon after the resurrection. I'm going away, but I'm not going to be going away long. He was going away three days. I'm sure it was an eternity to the disciples, trust me. I'm sure it was an eternity to the disciples. But he went away for three days. And he came with them. So Jesus is speaking about his resurrection. And, and I got off on this tangent of the resurrection. It's, a, it's, it's one of the single most greatest defining moments in history. When we look at Jesus' life, it centers around three different things. There's three different things that Jesus' life centers around. And they're a major events, And they're all intertwined. They're all intertwined. They can't be separated. Each part substantiates the other. To remove one from the equation... It nullifies the other two. You can't do it. They're all together. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was no ordinary man. And that's an understatement. That is a total understatement. The Bible declares that he was virgin born. The Bible declares he's the son of God. The Bible declares that he was God clothed in human flesh. The Bible says he's the creator and the sustainer of all things. So this was no ordinary man. He lived a sinless life. And he fulfilled the law of his father to perfection. Jesus even said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And he did it perfectly. The same Jesus, this same Jesus who devoted himself to others, who healed sick people, who made the lame walk, who made the blind see, who restored a withered hand. The same Jesus who attended to people's needs, who healed broken hearts. This same Jesus, the one that came into Jerusalem that Sunday, and everybody screamed, Hail the King! Hail the Messiah! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Is the same one that four days later, they were yelling, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! And they put him on a cross, and he died. Make no mistake about it, he died. They took him down, and they threw him in a tomb, and they sealed the tomb. But you take these three events, you take Jesus' birth, his death, and his resurrection, they are intertwined and they cannot be separated. If you disprove one, you've disproved them all. If you reject one, you've reject them all. They stand together. What do these three events, six, what do these three events encapsulate? What do they encapsulate? According to 1 Corinthians 15, 3. What do they encapsulate? The gospel. This is the gospel message. This is the gospel message. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. The gospel message in a simple nutshell. This is it. So that's why you can't separate these things. But it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us life. It's his resurrection. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that separates us from every other religion. Every other religion. Buddhist tomb is still there, and he's still there. Confucius is still in his tomb. All the other great religious leaders are still in their tomb. Please, please know this. I've I've seen two tombs in Jerusalem. One at the church of the Holy Sepulcher and one in the garden that they call it. This is where Jesus was buried. Make no mistake about it. With my own eyes, I saw that each tomb is empty. Empty. He's not there. There's an argument about where he was laid to rest. It doesn't matter. They're both empty. He is not there. He has risen from the dead just as he said. Our God is the one true God because he is the one true living God. Our God is alive. Jesus is alive. Someone said this, quote, the greatest single event in human history displaying the most tremendous force and exerting the most powerful influence upon the entire world was not a military mighty victory. It was not an amazing achievement of the arts. It was not an ingenious invention of man. It was not a stupendous scientific discovery, not a discovery and development of nuclear weaponry. An honest search into history results in one conclusion. The world-shaking and world-shaping occurrence of all time was the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. Since that time, no phase of life in any age has been unaffected by this no phase. When this truth is taught, when this truth is accepted, lives are changed. People's lives become new. People's lives become beginning. They're changed forever, and the same thing happens today. You are assured.
0: We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you, and if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m., and you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of A Sure Hope.